Hello and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Brianna Kerber. My friends and colleagues call me Bree. I use she, her pronouns, and I am Fresh Energy's policy communications associate. Today, we are going to be talking about something new, even to me, building codes. And in this podcast, I have the immense privilege of being joined by Fresh Energy's Eric Fowler, our resident building code aficionado, to give us the inside scoop on how to crack the code, so to speak, for a more sustainable Minnesota via our built environment. And with that, let's jump in. How's it going, Eric? Good. Thanks, Bree. Um, this is uh, all of this buildings work is uh, very applicable. Um, as you know, I'm uh, living in a, about a hundred year old house. Um, so we have <laughs> lots going on. There's lots to think about. And I feel like there's a lot of overlap. Uh, we literally had some chimney work done yesterday. So wow. constantly thinking about building standards, building codes um, with all of yes, this. Yes, of course. Our next podcast episode should just be a follow-up dedicated to you talking about all that you've learned going through that process and how applicable it's been to your work in this area of Fresh Energy's buildings portfolio. Um, but let's jump into our, our topic at hand. So I think when people think about building codes, it's probably not always immediately clear how they connect to our mission and our vision here at Fresh Energy to get Minnesota and beyond closer and closer to an equitable carbon neutral economy. So to kick us off, could you give us some insight into that connection and talk about how building codes, building codes, excuse me, are a climate and health solution? Yeah, thanks, Bri. Um, so I think a lot of people really understand the connection between the tailpipe on their car and climate change. Um, but our, our buildings actually have multiple tailpipes, uh, kind of sometimes hidden in plain sight. Um, and this is one of the reasons why buildings are a top source of carbon pollution. Um, that's true globally. It's definitely true in Minnesota. Um, that So our buildings contribute uh, roughly 40% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and, and the other the other issue is that the trend of those building emissions is going in the wrong direction. So mm -hmm. Minnesota's electricity and transportation sectors, um, those are bigger parts of the pie, but they're shrinking, right? Which is good, they're getting cleaner. Whereas mm -hmm. pollution from buildings is actually still increasing. So that's a, that's a problem um, and, and it needs immediate action on multiple fronts to make sure that we you know, start going in the other direction, um, start bringing building emissions down instead of up. Uh, so improving Minnesota's energy code, um, both residential and commercial, um, this has a huge impact on the future of our built environment, as well as our health, our financial well-being, you know, for those who are paying the utilities on those buildings. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really uh, an important piece of the puzzle. Definitely. I like that tailpipe analogy. It's a great analogy. And I feel like probably like a lot of folks out there, I have a pretty vague understanding of building codes and all that they encompass. So on the most basic level, I'd love if you could start us off by explaining what the heck they are. <laughs> 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the building code is simply the minimum standard for a building's quality, safety, energy use, and construction. Um, so if you hear that a, you know, a building is constructed to code, that means that the building will meet those minimum state requirements. And not necessarily, you know, it, it, it won't meet anything else. There are a lot of optional standards that folks mm -hmm. will pursue, um, like passive house or zero energy. Um, but at the base level, all new buildings have to meet code. And gotcha. like examples of what's in there are maybe not super commonly known. One that I think people will recognize is um, escape windows in bedrooms. So maybe, maybe you know that if you're touring a house and somebody mm -hmm. says, you know, that, the, that there's four bedrooms, but one of them is in the basement and it doesn't have a large sized escape window. So that's in the code. You can't call that, you know, you can't market that as a bedroom because it doesn't right. have an escape window. So that's maybe like gotcha. a more well-known example um, there is everything else in the code. There is like, <laughs> how many bathrooms does a theater need? You can look it up. How thick does the fireplace hearth need to be? That's in the code. It's minimum four inches. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, and like the energy examples are going to be things like um, your ceiling attic border. Uh, that must be insulated to R49 or more. Um, R is just, it means the resistance to heat transfer. Mm. Um, so the higher the R value, the, 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 the more insulating it's doing. Gotcha. Um, another example is like, you can't have more than three air changes per hour in a code built home in Minnesota, which air changes is like a measure of leakiness, right? How, like ah, how, okay. how much air are you losing? You spend all that money conditioning the air and now it's just going out cracks into the outside. Mm, um, mm -hmm. And the, the biggest impact of the code really is on new buildings. Um, you know, every new building is, is, is legally, you know, supposed to meet the minimum standards established in the code. The place where the code has less of an impact is on existing buildings. Um, there are requirements. So if you renovate, um, you, you will need to follow some building codes if you're doing a major renovation, but it right. might be, you know, you could update some electrical wiring and you have to do that up to code, but that doesn't mean you have to bring your plumbing or you know, literally anything else up to code. So those can be narrow and still okay. leave you with a lot of old buildings that don't meet like current requirements. Ah, I see. Okay. So you mentioned things like ceiling and attic insulation, as well as a few other things being in the code. What else might, might we find in it? Yeah. The, uh, I guess the main kind of buckets when we're looking at the energy code is, there's going to be a lot about your, your envelope, which is like the fancy way of saying what separates you from the outdoors when you're indoors. Um, so that's uh, air leakage right around your doors, your window quality, insulation, stuff like that. Um, there's also standards for your HVAC, your 
heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, um, right? How are the ducts designed? What type of thermostat do you have? Um, and then you're going to have, you know, water heating is, is another uh, big mm -hmm. energy use. And so how efficient is your water heater? Um, are the pipes insulated? Uh, and then, and then that last major bucket is around electrical wiring and lighting systems. And there's been a lot of improvement, for example, in requiring a higher percentage of, you know, really efficient lighting so that mm -hmm. hopefully we're moving away from, um, incandescent bulbs, which are really just small heaters that put out some light. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Well, you've written a blog on the Fresh Energy website all about the ins and outs of, of building codes, which we will link in the description for everybody listening. And in it, you wrote that there's both a building code and an energy code. And I've heard you use that energy code term a couple times already. What is the difference between the building code and the energy code and why is that distinction important? Yeah, uh, so the full, the full building code uh, lives in administrative rules, which are managed by the Department of Labor and Industry. If you hear me say Dolly, um, that's, I'm, it's a pronunciation some of us use, maybe it's not that many of us, for <laughs> DLI, Department of Labor and Industry. So ah, Dolly okay. manages this. Okay. So there's 18 chapters and they cover everything from accessibility, elevators, fire protection, electrical, plumbing, right? How, uh, a bunch of stuff that's in there. Um, the energy code, it just means two of those chapters. Um, one of them is the residential energy code and the other one is the commercial energy code. And those, um, you know, those have, uh, specific requirements that vary uh, based on climate zones, mm, basically okay. becoming stricter the farther north you go, because um, it's colder and you need to protect your conditioned air even more. Um, and so Minnesota has two climate zones in the south, um, zone six, six uh, A to be precise. Um, and <laughs> in northern Minnesota, it's seven A. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that Minnesota would have two of them. So I guess my next question is how do those zone distinctions get decided and what does that mean in maybe tangible practical terms for Minnesota? Yeah, I, this is fun. I, I just um, have been learning a little bit more about this. So if climate zones make you think of gardening and like looking up you know, the hardiness of, of a plant that you might want yeah. in your yard and like you hope it survives. Um, <laughs> that is basically the origin of this climate zone map. Um, Interesting. So Joe Stebrick, who's an engineer, building scientist, uh, principal at the Building Science Corporation and I think lots of other things. Um, he is, I think, largely responsible for coming up with those boundaries based on where do different kinds of plants live? And then, you know, just mapping that onto um, the, the continent to say, okay, well, this is where you have these temperatures as well as these moistures. Um, so that climate okay. zones reflect both. That's the A um, is in, in our climate zone um, is related to humidity and the number 
is related to where we are kind of temperature wise. Gotcha. Interesting. That is some insider content right there, folks. I, that is not in the blog that Eric wrote. So we will make sure to link, um, a map showing you those different climate zones in the description of the podcast. Um, Eric, thinking about all that we've discussed so far, how exactly, what can you tell us about how these building codes get created? Does someone just write them? Are there other people involved in the process besides those who might be writing the code itself? What does that look like? It's so many someones. It's committees <laughs> of committees. Oh, um, I mean, like only half kidding. It, it is, it's a complicated process because buildings are complicated and they're full mm. of different systems, right? And all of those different systems have different experts who know about the various parts of them. So it starts with a few national organizations that write uh, what we call model codes. Okay. And then in Minnesota, again, Dolly um, makes any final revisions. Um, and so I'm, I'm not going to talk about like the fire code or all the other codes, but for, for the energy code, the first draft is written by ASHRAE. There's, this is a bit okay. of an alphabet soup, but ASHRAE is the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers. So every three years, um, you know, based on a consensus process of their experts, they publish a model energy code, um, which is called ASHRAE 90.1. I think there's some history around that naming scheme that we don't need to get into. Gotcha. Um, But then the... Um, the International Code Council, they use ASHRAE to create the International Energy Conservation Code, and then they package it up. So ASHRAE only does the energy stuff, right? Okay. But the International Code Council publishes a bunch of different types of codes. So that's why they kind of turn to ASHRAE to write the first draft. Mm. And then the ICC, the International Code Council, uh, uh, up, you know, uh, bases theirs on what ASHRAE has started with. So what all of this means in Minnesota is we take that essentially first draft um, and then through an administrative process uh, where the public uh, and, and all stakeholders can weigh in, uh, we basically edit it to, you know, what we decide we need in Minnesota, but it's still nice to start with that really detailed first pass by the national mm-hmm. experts and then adopt a specific Minnesota energy code that's based on, but may not always a hundred percent reflect that model code. Gotcha. Wow. That genuinely does feel like it has so many different moving pieces and, and groups of people who are involved in this process. It feels like it's a, a kind of, it's like whole ecosystem on its own. Um, it's true. So th- and actually I should, sorry, I should say, so um, our executive director, Michael Noble, um, does actually have a seat on one of these committees with the International Code Council. So, so he has a vote you know, one vote among many um, <laughs> on how the uh, the IECC, the International Energy Conservation Code, <laughs> on how that gets written. 
Awesome. Well, that's really cool. And I feel like I either didn't know that about Michael or I had forgotten it, but thanks for bringing it up. Um, it's, it's fun and it's encouraging to know that we have a voice within one of these big arenas, so to speak, for this whole process. So thank you for walking us through some of the, the basics of building code, because I feel like I have a much better understanding of, of some of those foundational elements and now I think we're positioned really well to try to shift to maybe apply some of that knowledge. So my next question, Eric, is how are building codes used? And more specifically, how might we see them impacting our lives? Yeah, the um, so I'm, I'm going to I think I'm going to talk about like three buckets kind of again. OK, um, perfect. The first one is the first group that uses the building code, right, that sees an immediate impact is manufacturers uh, of, you know, products for uh, building and renovating your home. So we talked about that R value, the resist, the heat uh, transfer resistance in insulation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So an example is if you make insulation, you are going to go to the code and you're going to read, oh, you know, 49 is a minimum standard requirement, great. We're going to ma manufacture, you know, R49 insulation. We're going to make a bunch of it and we're going to mm -hmm. label it on the outside so that it's visible because the code also requires that you can, you know, visually look at it and see, oh, that's labeled as R49. Gotcha. Cool. So then we have all these products that are designed to, to easily meet code. And then the people who use them are going to be, you know, architects, builders, contractors, um, they're, they're going to look at the code and say, okay, I need this type of insulation. Um, we're going to need to do the plans in this way. Um, and, you know, and then the contractors and builders, they will have to uh, install those correctly. So mm -hmm. if you have a bunch of gaps in the insulation that you installed, even though you use the right insulation, your building won't be up to code because of the gaps, you know, you're not supposed to have those. Right. Gotcha. And so it also, there's a little bit of flexibility. There's basically two paths that paths that, that builders can use to comply with the code. And this is a little bit weedsy and like, you know, if everyone doesn't remember every single detail of this, <laughs> that is okay. But it is interesting to note that a builder, you know, the, the and your building team can use um, a prescriptive path, which is basically where the code says, if you do this, 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 and this, and you just check off all of those components, you will be in compliance. Okay. There's also a performance path, and that has a lot more wiggle room on the specifics. It, it's a much shorter checklist. Um, so, so you might be able to do um, a, a wall or a window that, you know, that doesn't actually meet the prescriptive requirements for insulation or air sealing. But if you can show in a model of your building that you've made up that efficiency and that overall the, the building will still perform as well as it needs to, again, that's the performance path. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to follow those prescriptive requirements. Interesting. 
So that's like a little weedsy. The place where people may have the most familiarity is when it comes to the third bucket. So we had manufacturers, we had builders, architects, and then the third bucket is code enforcement officials. Mm. So when you hear someone talk about, oh, I need a permit, right? I need a building permit, or I need a permit to remodel something. That is when we're talking about the code enforcement officials, which have kind of that final check. It's like, hopefully, okay. hopefully everybody before has done all their work and the code official will not have, uh, you know, a ton of uh, feedback to give or violations to give, right. but they are the ones who inspect plans, issue permits, um, and then conduct inspections on uh, those new buildings and renovations. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. I feel like the the full picture is is really starting to come together in my mind of how our building codes are these really critical tools that can help drive progress on clean energy and climate so that we have a healthier, but also more resilient future for our state and beyond. But I, I feel like I'm left with a lingering question that I'm hoping you can answer for us. It seems like using our building codes as tools for driving that progress that creates healthy communities, creates a healthy climate, would require that these codes are updated on a somewhat regular basis as things change in society, as we make advances in technology or materials or what have you that we use in our buildings. So what is the process for updating codes and maybe how frequently does it occur? Yeah. Great question. And I'll just note at the top um, for any listeners outside Minnesota that, you know, this varies a ton state by state, like okay. most U.S. policy. Um, and there are actually some states that uh, don't have a statewide energy code. Um, in Minnesota, we do. Uh, so we have a six-year adoption cycle. So okay. um theoretically, you know, every six years, we're supposed to look at that model code, make any adjustments, and then adopt it. That said, there are ways to slow down the process, um, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's great that there are opportunities for input. But unfortunately, um, we are still currently stuck with a code based on the 2012 IECC, again, International Energy Conservation Code. That's the model we start with. So 2012 was more than six years ago. Right. Um, <laughs> and in 2020, the, the department did consider or like started the process of considering the 2018 base code. Um, there was a hearing with an administrative law judge who, you know, heard arguments for and against uh, starting the process of, of editing and adopting that 2018 base code, he did recommend against it. And so that, and, and then the department did not continue the process. Okay. So now basically, you know, now it's um, uh, September of 2022, and we're currently waiting for a similar determination after a hearing last month in August. Uh, but hopefully it won't be similar because hopefully this time right. the administrative law judge will recommend that we do continue with the adoption process for 
the 2021 IECC. Tell me if I need to repeat any of those. I know it's <laughs> such an alphabet soup. Yeah, I think that was great. I mean, it, it's good to to know that there are some next steps for what's happening with, with Minnesota's code. I would love to hear how you and the rest of our buildings team at Fresh Energy are plugged into that process. Maybe some of the more specific things that you guys are doing to try to drive progress in, in, in this area. Absolutely. So uh, Fresh Energy definitely shows up at those hearings. Um, I you know, I hopped on, um, it was a virtual hearing, so I provided um, oral comments. A lot of partners and allies of ours did the same, and then okay. we also submitted um, written comments. Um, so we're going to, you know, keep showing up in every venue we can and making the case for um, efficient buildings that are, you know, have affordable utilities and healthier uh, indoor air. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, it's like, uh, it, it is, it can be a little weedsy and a little boring, but this stuff matters so much because yeah. um, we actually have access to this process in a way that is not as true for some of the big splashy, you know, headline grabbing stuff that happens in DC. The, the right. building code, I mean, not that many people are weighing in on the process, right? So, so if, if people organize and get involved, it can have kind of a proportionally larger impact than some of the things that are easier to think of if you pay attention to just a lot of the headlines. So Mm. anyway, that's my soapbox, but what what we're doing is arguing for the adoption of the 2021 IECC, um, which would provide considerable energy savings to Minnesotans. Um, We're also going to keep an eye for any uh, amendments that happen that would weaken or reduce that efficiency, right? We want to protect um, what is in that 2021 model code. Um, We'll support amendments that strengthen the efficiency. Um, You know, we, we will continue taking part at every process. And we also are involved at the legislature. Um, you know, we have supported um, previously the effort by cities to be hmm. able to adopt what's called stretch codes. I think I said earlier that Minnesota has a statewide code. Yeah. So if you are, so uh, Minneapolis uh, submitted um, um, comments in this code making process, they would like to have a higher standard of efficiency oh, in the okay. building code, but currently they can't do that unless it changes for all of Minnesota. Mm. So a potential option that the legislature has considered, and we would encourage them to consider again, is giving cities the opportunity to adopt a stretch code. In other words, a higher than state standard energy code. Um, You know, and I also said, you know, Michael uh, Noble has a vote on, um, it's actually called the Envelope and Embodied Carbon Subcommittee of the International Codes Council Consensus Committee. I told you it was committees of committees. That is a mouthful. (laughs) It really is. I wrote it down so that I made sure to (laughs) get it. Um, 
And then I'll also just plug, this is not where, this is not the work that I uh, lead on, but I will also plug our buildings team um, for doing a lot of work on the future of gas. Um, you know, the, the, those gas pipelines that end at our stoves and water heaters um, are, uh, you know, are a major source of indoor and global air pollution. And, um, and so my, my colleagues, Joe Dammel and Caitlin Eichten are our experts on transitioning mm -hmm. the gas industry towards decarbonization. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to look at this from a number of angles. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great reminder that almost all of our work is interconnected at Fresh Energy. We're always finding ways that there's crossover between our different departments or teams, we like to call them. Um, and this, this part of that is obviously a, a critical conversation or, or process for you and your team and Fresh Energy as a whole to be part of. And I think it's encouraging to hear that obviously we're, we're making progress to positively impact our buildings and the future of our built environment with health and safety and efficiency in mind. And I think that everyone is all we have for you today. Thank you to everybody listening for wading through this complex and technical topic with us for letting Eric spout off on some alphabet soup fronts with all of these acronyms and uh, long names. And, and a big, big shout out goes to Eric for taking the time to sit down with us and walk us through some of these foundational elements that are very complex in such an engaging way. We're really fortunate to be able to learn from you, Eric. Um, and to our listeners, as always, if you are hungry for more information or you want to get involved in Fresh Energy's work, please visit fresh-energy.org for resources and action opportunities. And I would love to invite you to share your morning coffee or tea or orange juice, toast, pancakes, what have you with the Fresh Energy team on Thursday, October 13th, when we are holding our annual benefit breakfast. The benefit breakfast will be virtual again this year, and we will be hearing from keynote speaker, nationally acclaimed journalist, Julian Brave Noisecat, as well as special guest co-author of the book, Speed and Scale, Ryan Panchatsaram, about how to drive an ambitious climate and clean energy agenda at this really critical moment in human history. All the information you need to save your virtual seat can be found by clicking the events tab in the top right corner of our website at fresh-energy.org. I hope to see everybody there and thanks again for tuning in.